You're listening to Simplifying Investing with Diana Messina. This podcast is general in nature and hasn't taken your circumstances into account. It's important you consider your personal circumstances and speak to a financial advisor before deciding what's right for you. Any general tax information provided is provided as a guide only. Now, here's Diana. Hello and welcome to Simplifying Investing with Diana Messina. Well, every year tends to teach us something different and new, whether it's in our personal or in our work lives. What were the top five lessons that we learned in 2023? I'm going to take you through those today. The first thing that we learned was that interest rate cycles can be different. As a student of economics, we're taught that monetary policy works with long and variable lags, which we've heard the RBA reference as well. Sometimes these lags can be up to 12 or 18 months. We had assumed that in the current cycle, the economy in 2023 would have been more negatively impacted from the rate hikes which began in Australia in May of 2022. However, in this current cycle, rate hikes have taken longer than usual to impact the economy. This is really leading to an elongation of the monetary policy tightening cycle. One of the main reasons that the cycle has been elongated is that there's been a record number of households fixing their mortgage rates in recent years, which were fixed at ultra low interest rates. And a large chunk of these households are only now just rolling off those fixed rates. And that provides a cushion to rising interest rates. Fixed rates bottomed at around 2% in early 2021. And fixed rate lending reached a peak of about 46% of total new housing lending. That compares to a pre-COVID normal of 10 to 15% for fixed rate lending. So we did see a huge spike in households fixing their loans. In Australia, most fixed loans are held for about three years or less. So it's only now that we're starting to see all of these fixed loans roll off onto variable interest rates. And the variable interest rates are now about at least three times the rates that these fixed loans were initially fixed at because interest rates have gone up. And on the RBA's estimates, by the end of this year, about 60% of the fixed to variable roll-off will be complete. So we still have a large chunk of those fixed rates that have to roll off. And that provides some downside risks to the consumer outlook in 2024. When we think about variable interest rates, what we're also seeing seeing is that the pass-through of rate hikes to variable mortgage rates has been lower than usual because of very high competition between the lenders. For example, as at the month of September, which is when we have the latest data for, the cash rate had risen by 4%, but the pass-through to variable interest rates was much lower at 3.3%. Usually the pass-through of rate changes to variable interest rates is much closer. The second thing we learned this year was that consumer incomes are not the only support for spending. Australian consumers have managed to weather rate hikes better than we expected. While retail spending did slow over 2023 and retail volumes were running at negative levels from about December of last year to August of this year, spending on things like services for personal care, recreation and holiday travel actually remained quite solid. As we already talked about, fixed rate lending has probably helped consumers to weather some of those interest rate hikes. But we did also underestimate the impact from high consumer accumulated savings. At their peak, consumer accumulated savings reached $237 billion in September of last year. And now the value of those savings are at about $187 billion. So consumers have drawn down on their savings, but there's still quite a large share of these savings left in the economy. However, what's important to keep in mind is that these savings are not evenly distributed. On our own estimates, the bottom 40% of household groups 
groups, which are really the ones that are most impacted by high interest rates and elevated inflation, are likely to have used up these additional savings by early next year. If you compare that to high income earners who are in a better position to absorb higher interest rates, they still appear to have very high levels of accumulated savings. We can also see similar differences when we look at households across various age groups. For example, older households who are likely to have less debt, lower mortgages, or more likely to have paid off their home, they are holding the bulk of these accumulated savings. And some of these older groups or higher income earners may never actually run down their savings to their pre-pandemic levels because they don't need to. So it does appear like excess savings will be less of a support to consumers in 2024 compared to this year. And as well, the expected weakening in the labor market next year, based on some of the leading indicators like lower job advertisements and lower business hiring intentions, means that consumer incomes will be under additional pressure in 2024 because the unemployment rate is likely to increase. And that will lead to consumers having to draw down some of these additional savings. On the RBA's own estimates, about 13% of variable rate households were already in a negative cash flow position as at July this year. And that means when your mortgage and your essential repayments are outpacing your income. And for fixed rate mortgage holders, about 18% of households will be in a negative cash flow position when they roll off their fixed rate. And this doesn't even include the latest rate hike, which occurred in November. So these estimates would look even higher now. So the bottom line is that there's still a lot of downside for the consumer outlook in the new year. The third thing we learned was that soft and hard data can tell different stories. Soft data is referred to by economists as things like surveys and hard data are the real economic activity indicators. According to surveys this year, consumer sentiment in Australia has been extremely poor, actually traveling around recessionary-like levels. And consumers still continue to indicate that it is not a good time to buy a household item, which is currently around its lowest levels on record. Similarly, when we look at things like the purchasing managers indices or the PMI, which is a gauge of national activity, that's been quite weak throughout most of this year. We had been putting some weight to these indicators and expected the signals from them to show up in the hard data of actual economic activity. However, spending outcomes have actually been much stronger than the surveys would imply at headline levels. While this could show that indicators from surveys are not always converted into actual outcomes, it's more likely that the hard and the soft data will end up catching up to each other. And we find it likelier that the real activity indicators will slow down in 2024 in line with some of those soft economic data figures rather than the survey data weakening even further because it's already at such poor levels. The fourth thing we learned was that government policies are important. A catch-up in Australian immigration after the COVID-19 pandemic was always likely, but the extent of the increase in international arrivals this year has been taken most commentators by surprise. Annual overseas migration is currently running at over 500,000 people a year, and that's been driven in particular by a rise in temporary visas for skilled and for student visas. The surge in the population has added to supply issues in the housing market, and that's increasing rental growth and, of course, then adding to inflation. Largely as a result of high immigration, we underestimated the extent to which home prices would rise this year, and we thought that inflation would start to slow at a softer pace. However, when we look at the outlook, it does look like we are reaching peak levels of immigration. The government's own forecasts are for lower levels of immigration in the new year. So we should see less of an inflationary impact from population growth in 2024. The past year has also shown that government policies matter for the Reserve Bank. The government review on the RBA has resulted in multiple changes to the way the board operates, including fewer but longer board meetings and more involvement from board members with the RBA and also the general public. This could have implications for how monetary policy decisions are made in the new year. If the board members from the the RBA, including the governor and the deputy governor, end up having their views dilated from external board members.
And the final thing that we learned was that geopolitics does matter, but often can have a different impact to what you initially expected. Major geopolitical events have been occurring frequently in recent years, which impact both the economy and financial markets. And we've spoken about that before on this podcast. This year, the concern about the US fiscal position was one driver behind a lift in bond yields. Although this did prove temporary as bond yields have drifted back down towards the later half of this year. And the conflict in Israel recently has had major humanitarian impacts. But the impact on financial markets has been more muted, despite fears that it would have a more longer lasting negative impact to share returns. As we've written about and spoken about before, timing geopolitical events is extremely difficult, dare I say impossible. However, it is really good to have a gauge about the broad risk events on the horizon. Politics will be very important in the new year. There are multiple elections being held, including in places like the US, Taiwan, Russia, India, as well as Europe for the European parliamentary elections. Actually, about 45% of the global population will have an election in 2024. This means that investors need to keep in mind the volatility associated with geopolitics on their portfolios. But bear in mind that it's not always bad. It can just be noise in the background. Well, that's it for today's podcast. I hope you've enjoyed Simplifying Investing with Diana Messina and I'll see you in the new year. To keep up to date with Diana's podcasts and reports, follow her on LinkedIn and your favourite streaming platform.